0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Death Star Radio. I'm Lorenzino Estrada, joined by my co-pilot, Chris. Chris, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. I'm glad that this is going to be our final podcast, that we aren't in the same room together. It'll be so much easier next time. But, yeah, no, nonetheless, super excited to be here.
0: Yeah, and it's been quite some time since our last episode, which was the review of Thrawn by Timothy Zahn. That was in mid-June. It's now early August, almost mid-August, and we're getting back together, and we're reviewing Alphabet Squadron by Alexander Freed, which is the first book in a trilogy. And just right off the bat, Chris, what were your initial impressions of Alphabet Squadron, going into it, and then once you finish reading it?
1: So I guess I was a little unfair to Alphabet Squadron, because I picked that book up literally the day after I finished Thrawn. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to our Thrawn review, anyone... Um, it, we both loved Thrawn. Thrawn's one of my favorite books now. It's Mm -hmm. a great story about a great Star Wars villain. So Alphabet Squadron had some pretty high expectations for me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I wouldn't say it didn't meet them, but I would say that it wasn't as, I mean, I loved, I mean, I loved the book. The book was good and everything, but it wasn't, it wasn't a Thrawn level book to me. If mm-hmm. You guys saw our Twitter account, which if you don't follow us on Twitter at Death Star Radio, please do. Um, we both gave it a four-star, four-star like review, and um, rather than five stars. So I mean, initial thoughts, I liked it. It's not, it's not bad, and I definitely suggest it if you're a Star Wars fan. What about you?
0: Yeah, uh, same with you. I definitely recommend it if you're a Star Wars fan, especially if you like learning about the stories of these. Uh, fighter pilots, you know, I mean, this is what this book is about. And I think the concept of the book is really intriguing, which is why it brought me to the book. The fact that you put together an X wing, a B wing, a Y wing, an A wing, and a U wing together, it's very, you think, how is that going to work? How, you know, how are they going to be able to complete these missions together? These ships are so different. So that's what drew me in right off the bat. But like what you said, coming off Thrawn, which, like you, again, is one of my favorite books now, and Timothy Zahn is now one of my favorite authors, had high expectations for Alphabet Squadron. And it didn't meet those expectations for me. I was really hyped for the book. I mean, I, sh- I shared it with you on Twitter when they announced it and we were both, you know, highly anticipating this book. We pre-ordered it and everything and, and it came in and, you know, it, it, I, I really cranked through this book because I was, I was traveling and it was something for me to read while I was on the plane but um you know some of these characters in the book for me connect with as much as others but overall i think the book is it's a solid star wars read it definitely has a lot of cameos from characters that are already beloved so i think it's the perfect combination of introducing new characters and introducing the old characters in a time that is still very vague for star wars which is after the battle of endor and after the rebels beat the empire
2: so
1: yeah which is which is also kind of like why i like thrawn so much It ex- both of these books ha- explore areas of star wars canon that we don't know that we mm-hmm. don't know very well so right after return of the jedi right after the second death star was blown up and then right after revenge of the sith when the empire took over and that's why that's where thrawn is like when the empire is supreme so it's it's kind of interesting because we don't really see much. I mean, obviously we probably have a little bit more in that Thrawn era because we have Rogue One, Solo, and everything like that. Mm, yeah. But um, it's still this. I love how they're exploring more. And, I mean, not a lot of people are going to be read. I mean, I guess a lot of people will be reading books, but not as many, obviously, as watching the movies. But at least I'm glad that they're catering to the people like us who are willing to read those books and telling us like what happens on um, like behind the scenes of these other battles of all these other things. So that's what made me really excited. And it, yeah, the, the, the time period was perfect for this book. If it was at any other time period, I probably wouldn't have liked it as much.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And before we go any further, I think we should have a spoiler warning for the rest of the show. We are going to be talking about the major plot points in this book. We're going to be going through what we liked and what we didn't like. And eventually we're going to come across spoilers and things that happen. So this is your spoiler warning. If you plan on reading Alphabet Squadron, go ahead and go read it and then come back and listen to this podcast. Or if you just don't care, if you've already read Alphabet Squadron, then stay with us because here we go. And we're going to start with these characters, Chris, and the main one is Erika Quell. So tell me, what did you like about her?
1: So I really liked her at the very beginning of the book. Very beginning of the book when it opens up and she's a former... Imperial pilot that, I guess you can say, defected or went to Trader's Remorse to try and not, I wouldn't say join, join the New Republic, but just kind of like, kind of stay away from the Empire and kind of jump on the quote unquote good side because, you know, good is a point of view. Um, mm-hmm. But I really liked her at the very beginning. I found myself as chapters went on and they were exploring the other characters that I was more invested in her than anyone else. And I really wanted it to just get back to her. You know, you're reading the book, you're reading the book, you're reading the book. You just want to hear from her. But um, sadly, by the end of the book, I just kind of felt like there wasn't that much. Obviously, it's a trilogy, so there's plenty of time for character development. But the only thing is, is they built her up so much in the beginning that I felt like by the end of the book, another character we're going to talk about later... Uh, was the main character, or like, had more value in my eyes, that like, I was more interested mm-hmm. in what they were doing, than what she was doing, because in the final battle, she ended up just like, she became like, quote-unquote a hero, trying to stop a build, trying to stop Rubble from from destroying a te- destroying the city, like at the, mm-hmm. of the planet they were on that I'm it, it, it... I don't know, it fizzled out for me. It was built up so well and then fizzled out for me. I don't know if it was the same for you.
0: yeah, I think you know immediately you get introduced to this character, and you don't know much about her you know she's a she's a a defect from the empire and uh, she's on Traders of which is a a place where all the defectors from the empire go and are like major scientists and then while the republic, the new republic. Kind of figures out what to do with them, whether or not they're going to be released, whether or not they're going to employ them in their ranks. And, you know, you see kind of what she's going through. She's she's getting this push pull, whether or not she has done the right thing. You know, that's something that is going through her throughout the entire book. And that's something that I do like. You know, she she continues to get flashbacks of when she was in the Empire and whether or not if she was doing the right thing, because she's part uh, her group, which. Is the main villain in this uh book series you know for this trilogy the 204th legion which is Shadowwing. you know she was part of operation cinder so we see her uh kind of evaluating herself and even considering whether or not she's worth it whether she can help the rebel alliance or if she should if she should be doing it and i think that's a really interesting aspect of her but i don't think the character is um, again like what you said it's a trilogy and we're going to see character development but I just didn't see I didn't read a lot from her that I really liked there isn't there are characters in this book that I think are more interesting than her and that have and have better reason for her because for Erica Quayle, it just feels like she's doing it to do it if that makes sense There's no real motive in my opinion there's no real motivation for her to be there. I don't, I don't find that when, while reading this book.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. I just feel like at the very beginning, they had kind of built her up to maybe have this pretty cool conclusion or have something to do. Like she finally, cause like you said, she battles with herself. Is she doing the right thing? Is she not doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. I was hoping that maybe toward the end of the book, we'd find out like, is she doing this right thing? Does she finally come, at, come to peace with herself so that in the next two books, she's, like, definitively on one side, which, granted, because she's not, like, definitively, like, oh, this is good, this is bad, there is that does open a lot of opportunities for the next couple books, but Mm from this book's standpoint, I think that it was kind of tough just to kind of leave it open-ended like that. I mean, yes, she's more toward the New Republic, but she still hasn't decided what's good or not. She didn't even think the last battle was a success, and... I mean, that that yes. comes from her imperial days. If they didn't do everything right in the mm-hmm. empire, then she they was it was a failure. So I think that yes. leaving that open leaves a lot of opportunities, but it just it, it didn't settle with me. I don't know what it was. It just it didn't. I didn't like it. I personally didn't like it. When I finished the book, I was like, wow. And looking back on it, I kind of wish there was more with Quell, to be honest.
2: Yeah.
0: And and that moves to the other character, which is the person that finds her at Trader's Remorse and brings her into Alphabet Squadron, and that's Karen Aiden, who is a New Republic intelligence officer. And, you know, he's out to prove a point. He's out to show that with proper intelligence, they could be successful even though they don't have a whole fleet behind them, you know, especially if it's just a concentrated mission with only a handful of – it doesn't have to be pilots. It can just be, you know, soldiers on the ground or anything like that. It can be effective if they are given proper information and he's trying to prove that point with alphabet squadron with getting this ragtag group of fighters and putting them together against one of the strongest and most elite task forces in the empire which is the 204th legion and chris i don't know about you but every when when he was in this book i was just i was annoyed all the time I just think he's this real, you know. He's he's very, I, in my opinion, he's a very annoying character. He's always trying to do good, and he's willing to do whatever to make sure that his point is proven. And as I'm reading that book, whenever he shows up, I'm just like, I really don't want to be reading his dialogue right now. Like he, and maybe that's the point of his character because he is that political side of the New Republic.
1: Because I kind of liked his, I I, I kind of liked Karen Aiden's character simply because I feel like Mm -hmm. his character was two. It was him and his torture droid, or the reprogrammed Uh torture droid. I feel like they came as a group. And I really, I enjoyed reading the torture droid's uh, dialogue and everything that came along with that. I I loved when they would banter back and forth. I loved that. And Mm -hmm. at the very beginning of the book, I was all for him because he was trying to help out Yurika Quill. And at the time, I was invested in Yurika Quill. And she, I mean, eventually, I mean, there's a part of this book, there's like 100, 100 pages where I don't even think Aiden's name is mentioned. He just mm-hmm. becomes irrelevant. And I remember reading a chapter and goes, yeah, so through I forgot what the, obviously, for, I can't re- tell you the exact words, but like Yorick Quill has like a thought saying like, yeah, I bet Aiden feels like crap because uh his, his squadron's kind of been taken over by the, by one of the generals of the New Republic. And at that point, I was kind of, I, I like opened my eyes and said, holy crap, I forgot he was even in this book.
2: Mm-hmm. And then in
1: the final battle, they mentioned a couple of times, like him saying like, oh, you should do this. And then the general saying, "Ah, oh, shut up. You know what I mean? So it's just like,
2: <laughs> yeah. You
1: know, unless there's more to him, if he becomes like a bigger part of Alphabet Squadron, which I kind of hope he does because his character is kind of, kind of fun. He's a necessary character that like, I just feel like he's, he's, he's kind of, he's kind of fun. I don't know how else to put that. Yeah. He's, a, he's a little fun, especially with the torture droid and everything. So, um, yeah, it's just, I really wish he didn't disappear for a majority of this book. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure they're setting him up for the next couple books.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's
0: a problem when you have so many characters in this book and and if you're starting the trilogy, you kind of have to develop all these characters and you all need to give them their their backstories and things like that so the reader can understand it. So it it is easy for a character to end up getting lost in the mix. And and like what you said, Harrison Dula basically just takes over Alphabet Squadron halfway through this book and, and he's just gone, you know, and And I guess that just kind of shows the political side of the New Republic and how you know they're trying to figure out, which is something that I like in this book, that the New Republic is figuring out how to transition from the rebels, which was really just a military task force, into a government that's now going to rule the galaxy. You know, that's a pretty big leap. And I think we see that throughout the course of this book, and it shows, especially when you see all these people stepping over each other like Harrison Dula doing that with, with Aiden, you know? So I, I think that's an interesting aspect that this book uh, covers in this.
1: Yeah. no. Another character, Chris. Oh Oh, yeah. Sorry. sorry. I was going to, what you were just saying that kind of calls back to a time period that hasn't been explored in star Wars, you know, the time period between return of the Jedi and force awakens and how the new Republic Mm. was formed. And, now you start to think about it, you you know, you're reading this book and you kind of see how they didn't really get off on a good stop. Like, they, they keep saying, yeah, we won the war, but did we really win? You know what I mean? Like, we haven't yeah. figured that out yet. Mm-hmm. So you almost kind of wonder, like, did the First Order start because, like, the New Republic wasn't great? Yeah. So maybe the First Order had a reason to start. And um, not mm-hmm. just the, oh, well... We wanted an Imperial thing, and now you guys took over. You know what I mean? So I kind of yes. like that, that they kind of explore that, and I hope, hopefully they explore it. Maybe they explore it in other books that I have not read yet, but if they keep going on this album, mm-hmm. Squadron 1, and they keep doing that, I would love to continue to read that. But as you were saying, moving on to the next character.
0: Yeah, so we get introduced also to Nat Tencent, who is a Y-winged. Pilot, And he, like Erica Coyle, was part of the Empire, but he was kicked out of the Empire because he was trying to lace his own pockets with money using his uh, insignia and using his tag as being part of the Empire. He ends up going to this outpost, that, a very sketchy outpost, and he's protecting the people there and the shipments that are coming in in exchange for money. And he ends up being convinced by Aiden and his torture droid to come and join Alphabet Squadron.
1: Yeah, and he almost beats the crap out of Quill, correct? Or is it? Yes. Yeah, I remember, yes. I remember something like that. And yeah, his character is his character is kind of a trip because you don't know whether to like him or not because the whole mo- the whole I almost said movie, the whole book, he's, um, <laughs> he he almost thinks that maybe he's gonna kill Quill.
0: Yeah, they're they're at odds the entire like the entirety of this book. He doesn't know whether or not to trust trust her and the same goes I mean, for Yurika. In a
1: way the same goes for Eureka, but Yurika kind of like trusts him a little bit more, I feel like, because she's the leader of the squadron and she kinda puts him mm-hmm. he's like, Okay, I need to trust him in order to do this. He is always like Well, hey, I could always kill you or I'm just here for revenge, you know, and like you were part of it. Yeah. So it just kinda seems crazy and then obviously he gets her her files. And then that goes off in a whole new story. And so yes. that builds up into the second book I assume. But um you know, I like Tencent's character, kinda of brings a little bit of a different kind of like a little bit of a leadership role to the group because Quill didn't really have that much leadership, let's be honest. And especially mm. he he would he became friends with um Will Lark, you know, and everything and like their interactions was always fun in my opinion. And he was always there for them, and so I thought that was cool. He like actually, he's the he's the one that I feel like made them a squadron. If he wasn't, mm-hmm. if he wasn't yeah. there, then they would have just been like five random pilots, and they would have died in the final battle easily. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I think he was kind of the glue. But I guess we'll see how that glue comes undone because it seems like it's gonna in the next couple of months, especially with him finding out why she defected, how, like, all this stuff, and they, they apparently got dirt on her, and so I guess we'll have to see how that works out, because Quill seems like she's gonna be in a hot seat.
0: Yeah, and something that I really liked about Nath is that even though he was in the Empire, he ends up going to join the Rebellion, and his entire squadron gets destroyed. You know, so that's that's where that revenge comes from, and I think that's a really cool aspect of Not only this book, but the Star Wars universe in general that, you know, you do have this absolute, absolute good and this absolute evil in the Empire and the rebellion. But that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is absolutely good or absolutely evil. So you have guys like Naftensen who are in the middle that, yes, he's part of that good, but he's out for the wrong reason, which is revenge. And he's trying and he's trying to dig up dirt. On Quell because he wants to know if she was part of the mission that destroyed his his wide-wing squadron, and he's got that edge to him. He brings that nastiness to Alphabet Squadron, and like what you said, one of my favorite aspects of this book is that uh, camaraderie between him and Will Lark. And I think that works extremely well. Once this, uh, once you see this group start to start to gel a little, which granted is kind of without Iroquois. you know, they, they, they gel together when they're on that planet where the ancient Jedi temple is, and then we start to see them come together a little bit. Yeah,
1: and I think like like I said before, I think he's a big reason for it, because Quo is too, too uh, caught up in protocols and missions and stuff like that, so it's mm-hmm. just kind of nice to see a guy kind of bring the group together, and I mean, yeah, you said the nastiness um, the fact that he went off plan at the end and, uh, ended up killing the Imperial general and the mm-hmm. full grandmother, what is what they called her. And, um, <laughs> and he ended up killing her on it. Like, so I thought that was kind of like, that, that seemed right for him. You know, it just yes. seems like his character. So I, 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 his character development in this book, I think was some of the best. I think the best character development in the book is Will Lark, but which we'll get into. But um, I definitely think that he is a very well-developed character, and I'm excited to see where they bring him in the next couple books. Because, yeah, like I said, he he just brings that edge. He he, he brings mm-hmm. that he brings that part of the team that no one else brings, and he makes them a team. So if they don't have him, yeah, if somehow they lose him in the coming future. And it'll be real interesting to see how what happens
0: yeah, and we've been saying the name we've been saying will Lark so he's. we'll talk about him next uh, my favorite character in this book I'm not too sure about you Chris, but uh, will you know he grows up on Polyneus and he ends up riding these these living creatures and that's a reason why he is such a good pilot he's the ailing pilot, and his backstory just the way everything uh, goes for him. You see him. You know, he's very young and he's also a little naive, but he's an amazing pilot. And I just really like his, like what you said, his character development in this book is probably the best of all of them.
1: Yeah. And the reason why I think he's my favorite character in the book, as you know, you said you don't know, he is, Um, he reminds me a lot of my favorite character from another book we just recently read, and that's Eli (laughs) Vance. I think think they have a lot of similarities. You know, they're just simple, ending up, like, wanting to be home and, like, missing Mm. their home and just not wanting too much, but ending up becoming something more than they expected. And I really like that. And he's only, like, what? the book they said he was like twenty or twenty one.
2: Something super
1: young and he's just really fun to see how he talks and whether or not it's his fault that his squadron died and the reason why he I mean he quote unquote saved Chas Chas Chasnachatic's life, you know, but she holds it against Mm -hmm. him like, oh we should have died there with them (laughs) everything. Whether whether you believe that a good thing or bad thing, I think that he was always looking out for other people, and he was always just made fun of Mm -hmm. because he's a young guy from, like, a world that nobody knows of, just out there, which is, like, exactly what I think Eli Vanto is. He's the same way. Yeah. And that's why I think I connect to him a lot because I just love the aspect of both of those characters. So, I mean... Mm. And yet, like you said, his character development, he comes from a guy who's... I mean, let's be honest, they're all dealing with it, but he's dealing with a, a significant amount of post-traumatic, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, yeah. he'll be flying, and he'll see his former squad mates, you know, like his squadron mates, yes. like his comrades. He'll see them, and mm-hmm. that's just... It's, I mean, they're all dealing with it, but I feel like they express it with Lark more than anyone. And... Especially in that final battle, when he sees like Blink behind him, trying to shoot at, him. and then mm-hmm. he thinks of the time where yeah. he talks to Blink, when they were defending the Hellions there, and you know like how he gave him all the the Oral cluster like scary story, and so I thought yes. that was that was kind of unique, but it's also like it's sad because he lost his best friend, uh, Saito Nick and it's just it's it's a lot for him, and he's. He's in it for the long haul, unfortunately, whether he wants to be or not. And I'm hoping by the end of one of these books that he eventually does get home because he's he's one of those characters you're rooting for.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, something special about Eli Vanto and uh, Will Lark is that they are the relatable character in each of their stories. You know, that's the character that you can you can look at and say, oh, I, you know, I could see myself in him, you know, or... Or something like that, right? They're very relatable. They're characters that you root for. You know, they're they're kind of like those underdogs, if you will. You know, because Will was was so close to going home. He was gonna go home the next day before the Hellions Dare was attacked by Shadowwing. So he was he was just that close, and now he gets pulled into this, into this war all over again. And and essentially the war's over, but it's not. You know, and and he's and he knows he's very close to going home, and still, he still has to be out there and he still has to be fighting the shadowing, which is extremely elusive. And, you know, he loses his squadron. He, he loses two squadrons. You know, he loses Riot Squadron and Hound Squadron as they're protecting the the Hellions there. And, you know, you see how young he is and, and you understand him. And, you know, we're, you know, we're college kids, Chris. You know, we want to go home. We miss home too. And Will is kind of like that characterization for us in a sense and I think that's the reason why he is one of my one of my favorite characters
1: yeah he' easily become one of my favorite Star Wars characters just like Eli Vanto has and um, mm-hmm. I mean and you, you don't even know what he looks like that's the funny thing yeah. <laughs> like you said super relatable hard to hate definitely rooting for him and you're glad that he found a friend in in uh, tens because you know Otherwise, it was just kind of him, like, I just want to go home. I got no reason to be here.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: so it's kind of – Exactly. Kinda tough. So I kind of wanted to move on now to his – to this uh, member of his squadron that he, that hates him, quote-unquote. And that's uh, that's obviously Chaff. Chas and the Chattuck. Um, she's kind of got hmm. an interesting story. She, I kind of – she's a weird vibe. You know what I mean? You never know what you're going to get with her. She's blasting music in her inner ship yeah. while she's trying to fight people and you wonder how that works mm-hmm. because you're just like what you know um but it's she's an interesting character and i mean what, what did you think about her
2: yeah i think
0: especially when she's flying she definitely eases the tension of what you're reading you know the fact that she is uh having fun if you will you know listening to music that's something that's unheard of in the star wars universe you know the fact that you know i mean it's kind of like driving a car right i mean you should have music on while you're flying your your um your b-wing which is hers you know but you know i think she eases attention I, again she's a very interesting character because she wanted to tie protecting the hellions Dare and will lark is the person that saves her and she has that um that hatred for him, you know, if you will, if you will say it's a hatred, you know, cause they were friends before that happened. And, you know, Will has to regain her trust. And she even tells Will like, you, you let me die out there. Like, I don't, I don't care what the situation is. You, you're supposed to let me die, you know? And again, you know, she, she comes into the rebellion because she, she meets Jyn Ursa, which is the main character of Rogue One. And who's the, and she's the reason why the Death Star plans ended up being in the hands of the rebellion. And, you know, we see her in Rogue One. She dies on Scarif. But even before all of that, she meets Shaston Chadwick. She helps her get away from some criminals. And that is the reason why she joins the Rebellion. And I think that's such a cool uh, story, you know, because she wasn't part of it. But yet she gets inspired and she ends up joining because of another uh, Rebellion hero.
1: Yeah, and I also kind of like the way how it kind of showed how somebody reacted to a big event from a movie. Because they obviously they mm-hmm. have the big event of the Battle of Endor they threw around a bunch, but with that Rogue One, I I just remember reading the lines where it was like rumor has it that she's the one who clicked the button that sent the Death Star plans to the Rebel Fleet, and it's like mm-hmm. it's kind of cool because obviously we know she was the one who put who pulled the lever because we saw the movie, but mm-hmm. the only people who know exactly. she pulled the lever are her and Cassian. That's it. And maybe Director Krennic, if you really want to think about it. Um, Yeah. So it's kind of fun in that way because you just don't think about it very much. And it gives you a different Mm -hmm. perspective on the way of Star Wars is because – I'm not going to lie. When I went into these books, I just expected everybody knowing, like, what happened. And people don't. People don't know the end result. Like, they know, oh, hey. Death Star 2 was exploded. Do they know that the Millennium Falcon went in there to help load up? Do they even yep. have any idea of that? Do they even know?
2: Exactly. Do they
1: even know, like, Lando was the one flying it, not Han Solo? Like, yeah. like a lot of people, in like, they said Lark was at the Battle of Endor, but did he even know what was going on? Did he know the made her <laughs> turn to the light side? Like,
2: mm-hmm. it's
1: kind of an interesting little story there, because, like, he brings up the fact in force awakens where kylo ren is worshiping darth vader as a fifth lord but everyone knows Mm -hmm, everyone knows he went back to the went to the light side but maybe everyone in star wars doesn't know he went to the light side which i think brings up a whole cool like aspect of that it's so i think it's really Mm -hmm. interesting but um yeah. And I think Chas Machatic really brings that out because of her interactions with Jinurso and that's what makes her one of like probably my second favorite character in this book because she's just super interesting to learn about. She's her past is crazy, her future is crazy, she's crazy. It's it's <laughs> so much fun to read because everything else is so serious and then you get to her and you just like hear about all the music she's listening to and the bars she
2: goes to the people mm-hmm. she
1: talks to. And in her past, like, self, like, her story. So I think that's really cool. And she definitely gives off, like, the second best character resounding moments to me. Obviously, Lark is off the first.
0: Yeah. I really like the fact, too, that she flew with the Cavern Angels, which is Saw Gerrera's group, you know, the Partisans. Uh, I love the fact that she joined that, you know, because Jin was part of that as well. You know, it's just kind of like following in the footsteps of her hero and and that point that you brought up with not everyone in the galaxy knowing like that's one of those things that you don't think about because you you you're invested in those movies you know what happened but uh you know just the regular people in this galaxy don't know those things and that's something that a new book is going to cover which is uh, Star Wars myths and fables which is I think is out already and that's kind of going to show how everyone is just so romanticized you know characters like darth vader or the creatures that we have seen in the universe you know the the things that not every person in the galaxy knows but there are stories about and i'm you know that's a book that i'm also really excited to read so that point just made me think of that book so i think that that's a really interesting part Yeah. Man. but for our next character
1: oh I'm yeah sorry no again. and i was gonna go on because they kind of touched on this in last jedi whether you like that movie or not um with Luke saying, I became Luke Skywalker, the legend. So yep. everyone in the galaxy was like, Luke Skywalker, blah, 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 blah. But they don't know what really happened. And I think that, yeah. that'll that always be so cool to me to think about that. But yes, I'm assuming, I, I assume I know what character you're going to, but I'll let you introduce him.
0: Yeah, so we're going to talk about uh, Kairos next, which is a a just the, a character shrouded in secrecy, you know. We absolutely have no idea who this character is. The book did little to inform us about this character, except for maybe her telling her backstory on at the ancient Jedi temple. But she does it in in drawings, and you know, you're reading the book, and it's kind of like those number symbols, like going past you. You're like, what is going on? Like trying to piece together her backstory, and. But she's, from what we know of her, she's a very brutal fighter on the ground. We, you know, you see that in one of the chapters of this book. Uh, she's absolutely, like, destroying stormtroopers and, and he just tearing through them. She's very quiet. She's very stoic. And, I mean, she flies the U-Wing. And that's really all we know about her.
1: Yeah, I mean, she doesn't, she says, like, three words in the book. And they're like, they're the mm-hmm. lark or something. And she's just an interesting, like, who, I I can barely picture her because there's really not that much of her in this book. But, yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, they definitely set it up to maybe where she kind of, like, cracks a little bit. Um, Yeah. And I'm excited to see that. I really hope they do something like that where she kind of cracks and then eventually, like, they find out who she really is. But Mm -hmm. other than that, there's really not much else to say about her. That's really it.
0: Yeah, I mean she's cool. Like you know, she's kinda like that person who're like, Yeah, she's alright, like it's like who's that person? Like sitting in the in the corner, like looking down. It's like, nah, she's okay. Like, don't worry about
1: exactly. her. Exactly.
0: It's yeah, just this interesting character. Yeah,
1: there's there's not much more to say about her. I'm just I, I'm assuming they're gonna explore a little bit more of her past and what she's gonna be doing in the next couple of books.
2: Yeah. And we're gonna go ahead and transition
0: to the main the main villain and i mean the main villain is Shadowwing. it is this collective you know that is known as shadowing the 204th legion but they are led by colonel neuris which uh, we mentioned a little earlier her nickname is grandmother and you know she's the leader of Shadowwing. she's you know running the operation from one of the star destroyers and she's pretty cool i wish we got a little bit more of her in this book you know you get a couple chapters of her and not not even chapters you get like how, this, how the chapters are kind of separated into parts. You get like a couple parts with her in it, but other than that, not much on her. She is in the comic book series TIE Fighter, so I guess if we want to learn a little bit more about her, we can read that. But, um, I mean, I thought she was alright. You know, not the most intimidating uh, villain that I've read or that I've seen, but uh, I think she gets the job done and that's basically it. I thought this was going to be something that went on for the trilogy, but... It- Like what you said uh, earlier about Naftensin, you know, he he guns her down, you know, at the end of this book. And you're kind of like, okay, like that's it from her. I I was expecting more, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I kind of was, too, especially with the story they were kind of building with the emperor's ghost, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. and her. And how so how she was feeling the pressure of pretty much becoming the leader of the empire.
2: She was the leader of
1: the last remaining parts of the Empire, which, I mean, I guess there still are parts of the Empire, but, like, she was the main leader. She was the Emperor, if you want to call it. You could call her Emperor Grandmother if you wanted to. Um, (laughs) So I thought that was kind of cool that they kind of explored that a little bit, and especially since, I mean, maybe we'll see this ghost of Emperor Palpatine in Rise of Skywalker because of, you know, obviously the trailer teased, uh, what's it called, Darth City is coming back. And mm-hmm. get something like that, which, I mean, honestly, having read this book, if they do, I will be so hyped if they do because it'll make me feel so much better mm-hmm. than I read this book. But um, <laughs> if they do, I mean, they, they definitely have opened up a lot of possibilities with that Emperor Ghost, Um especially mm-hmm. with the new villain that's coming in that we'll talk later. But... um yeah, I thought there could have probably been a little bit more. She kind of seemed like a dry character in a way. You know, I'm the emperor. I'm I'm part of the empire. Uh, I'm not worried until the last minute when I should have been worried like an hour ago. When we
2: <laughs> were getting our
1: butts kicked. So it's just like, especially in that last battle, are you worried? No, but half of your hangar is gone.
0: Yeah, and you're a minute away from getting killed. Like, she's just chilling. Yeah,
1: it's like, so, I mean, she just kind of seems like the typical, like, Grand Moff Tarkin type, em, like, Imperial, you know? Yeah. So, um, um. Yeah, I guess if there was a little bit more, I, I'm kind of fine with her not having it, because I think the next villain's gonna be a lot more interesting. But, um... Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm kind of okay with her dying, especially with Tenzin kind of getting a little bit of his revenge.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah, and...
0: I mean you just mentioned the new villain let's go ahead and talk about him which is Major Soren Keys who we are introduced to in the first chapter of of this book as a as the not the leader but he's kind of like the the you know the commander of alphabet squadron he's out there with the fighters he's commanding the force making sure that everything is right and right away at the start of the book he dies you know and we're expected to to believe that that's something that I just thought you know right off the bat and very much uh, is Erica's mentor and kind of the reason why she's still in the Empire because she wasn't supposed to be in the Empire. She was going to defect way earlier and she was actually going to go help the Rebel Alliance. But uh, he is a reason why she stays. He ends up dying on Necronus, which is uh, part of Operation Cinder. They go and they try and destroy the planet. And in so doing, uh, we are led to believe that he dies. And then all of a sudden in the last, paragraph of this book, we end up finding that he is alive and that he is going to be the next villain in part two of this trilogy. Yeah, and
1: I really like how the scene, quote-unquote, or the part where they explain how Quill and uh, the major teens kind of interact when he tells her, hey, you need to defect like you've never wanted this. Yeah. Kind of mirrors what happens when Quill... Crashes at Pandemonium with uh, Karen Edden at the end. Yeah. So I just kind of thought that that was kind of a cool little parallel, you know. Mm-hmm. If, you, if that was in a movie, it would be like you know shot the same. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I thought that was kind of a little cool intro to her to his story, but also like to Quill's story that ends up coming back. And, yeah, it seems like he's been playing off. They did kind of introduce him weird. In the middle of the climax, they threw in a chapter with two characters that we had no idea who they were.
2: Okay. And
1: there was just some guy working at a shipyard or something, and he helps. A, he convinces a kid not to bomb Traitor's Remorse. And then, wow, sorry. And then two months, or sorry, like two like, 60 pages later, at the very end of the book, we found out that it's him.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's kind
1: of mind-boggling to me.
2: Mm.
1: I totally forgot that chapter even happened by the end of the book. <laughs>
0: and so... Yeah, because it just seems like a weird, like, footnote in this book. And um, you know, we I mean I guess we should have known that it was it was meant to mean something, but I mean you're you're invested in this story already with all these characters and then they kinda throw like a wrench in it all and you're like, Well, that's kinda weird.
1: Yeah, it's kinda like in Thrawn, you read about Thrawn and Vanto for like a hundred pages. And then they mm-hmm. throw in Arinda Price. Yep. And I think that's a perfect place to put it because then you get to build her character and then end up meeting with Thrawn and Vanto. Um the thing is, they threw in this character at the very end of the book, so it kind of <laughs> seemed weird. But um, I guess it kind of worked out, and it really made it for a nice little ending, kind of post-credit. Scene.
2: It did. It definitely did.
1: Yeah, it made it to like a little post-credit yeah. scene type thing, and I'm, it definitely made me excited for the uh.
0: Yeah. Book. Yeah, I was reading it, and like I just like read that, and I was like, whoa! Like, talk about a. Like a mic drop, like all of a sudden this guy's alive. You know, I thought like what you said really nice uh, post credit scene, if you will.
2: You know, a
1: really big, so, really big cliffhanger. That yeah, it shocked me. I can tell you that much. As long as it took me to read, read this book, I was like, holy.
2: No. <laughs>
1: but yeah, no, I'm. My overall thoughts of the book is we've kind of covered everybody now, all of the main
2: people. Yeah. Um,
1: it's a great book. I mean, it's really not. It's not a bad read. It's a little hard to read. We talked about this before we started the podcast. It's really hard to write, I feel like, about aerial combat, especially in space. And so, like, you're reading some things and you're just kind of like, I don't know what's going on.
2: Mm -hmm. Like, a
1: little bit. And they, uh, they, Alexander Free did his best to obviously describe everything. And I think it's a well-put-together book. I really enjoyed it. Like I said, four stars for me. I know you gave it four stars, but what were your overall
0: thoughts? Yeah, like like what you said, I think it's hard to read at times. I found myself, you know, going back a page or two or a paragraph and just trying to to let it sink in and, and understand what I was reading a little. Uh, I felt a little dumb that I was doing that, but I'm glad we both had the same issue with it. Uh, it is hard to write about that, you know? I mean, there are some moments where, like, he went into this, double corkscrew flip to do this and I was like what like I understand that they're flying but like how do you describe that you know I mean again the the descriptors in this book are very good and it's and you know they really Alexander Free really tries to give you an insight of what's going on you know as they're fighting in space and I appreciate that it was just a little hard for me to read and um Another thing you said is just how this, how the chapters are split up, kind of like through Roman numerals and how it's like, okay, this, this, this. Again, that's something that I'm not the biggest fan of. It wasn't a problem for me while reading it, but it's just something that I would prefer not to be in the book the way it is, like, divided chapter-wise.
1: Yeah, the way it, the way it's put together is a little confusing. I mean, after, after the first couple chapters you read it, you kind of get used to it. it. It makes it nice, like,
2: if you only mm. have a little
1: time to read, Makes it nice because it gives you a lot of stopping points. Definitely, which ended up being helpful for me. But um, (laughs) you know, working and everything, not not exactly easy. Um, But yeah, (laughs) no. Overall, it's a great, it's a good book. If you're a Star Wars fan, get out there, get the book. We suggest the paperback because we both got the hardcover and.
0: (laughs) This book is huge.
1: Massive. This thing is like the size of one of my textbooks.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is a it is big.
1: It's big. I mean, it's not page-wise. It's only like 408 pages. But just mm-hmm. size-wise, it's just like, oh. Like, Thrawn, yeah. the book, the size of Thrawn is perfect. So, like... Yeah, it's this little thing. He's like, if you're going to go out and get it, get the paperback. I don't think it's much smaller, but it is. It's cheaper. Just go do it. Um... But yeah, moving on to our next section, uh, section, what we usually do here. Um, We usually do a little thing about Star Wars, the do or do not. You know, of course, if you watch Star Wars, you know what that means. Um, So we usually hear something in Star Wars. Sometimes we'll stretch it to Disney because they are combined now. Um, And we, we see something that says do or do not, whether it's a fan should do this or Star Wars should. For example, like, everyone's talked about the Kenobi movie or series, should they do it or should they not, you know? Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So today, we're going to talk about the recently released Blu-ray re-releases for all of the Star Wars films. Mm -hmm. And um, whether or not, as a fan, you should buy them. And personally, I'm going to start here. Coming from someone who owns... All of them already on Blu-ray and everything. Unless you really want a cool little cover on your bo- on your little box thing, I, I, I don't think you need it. Because
0: I do have some, I do have all of them, but for the prequels, my DVDs are a little scratched up and it skips. So I don't, and I also don't have them on me. So these do get released September 22nd, by the way but i really like the cover art for the phantom menace and revenge of the sith. Attack of the clones is nice, but it's not, you know, groundbreaking, it's not amazing. So i think this is a do for me, but only for the prequels because for force awakens, for uh rogue one, i have the steelbooks for those and then i have, you know, last jedi and solo with me. I have the um originals, you know, on like a bundle copy, but um i think this is a do for me. For the prequels, but if you already have them, I I don't think you should go out and get more unless you're like, you know, you absolutely are in love with these, you know, it could be worth it just for the digital code itself, you know, but, um, yeah, I'm going to say this is a partial due for me because, uh, I do not have the prequels, so yeah.
1: Yeah, I would say that if you're planning on getting Disney+, Plus that it's not worth it just because, um... The, they're going to be on Disney Plus, so you won't even need the digital codes at that point. I didn't even
0: think about that. That is true.
1: So, so if you are planning on getting Disney Plus to watch shows like The Mandalorian and everything like that, at the end of the day, you you probably won't even need it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, that that's why it's a do not for me. Unless, like I said, you haven't got them on Blu Ray before, definitely go out and get them. The cover art is really cool on pretty much every single one of them but it just kind of seems weird that they're re-releasing them like this. Um, I wish they did it from the beginning, but you can't control everything, right?
2: That is very so true. I,
1: I mean, I may go out and get a couple of them. I think the A New Hope cover art looks really good.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. It's got
1: a purple to it. It's got Luke looking into the sun, the sunset and everything. I think it looks beautiful. So... I may I may go out and get one of those but considering all the Blu-rays I'm gonna have to get in the next coming years <laughs> I'll probably get the get it for the Rise of Skywalker if they come out definitely. with it for that. So I'll definitely do that. But with all the Blu rays coming out, you know Avengers Endgame comes out this week, you gotta grab that. There'll be other movies out with Blu rays that I'm gonna wanna grab, so I I just I would save your money unless you're of course loaded and you really want them.
2: Yeah. I mean,
0: and these are not going to be cheap, you know, they're probably going to be 25 to $30 a pop. So that's, that's expensive. If you're going to go out and get all of them, because if you get one, you're going to be tempted to want to like get the collection of all of them with the same concept for cover art, you know? So that is going to be an expensive uh, endeavor, but I think I like the revenge of the Sith one the best. I, like what you said, it looks a little bit like the one, like the original one, but I like the red and I like, uh, you know, Obi-Wan and Anakin, right there, Duel of the Fates in the middle, I think that is that is awesome. But
1: uh, Yeah, no, it's, it's not a bad one, I'll tell you that, but yeah. they all look pretty darn good.
0: Yeah, and but, for our uh, next segment, oh, okay, I think you were going to take the wheel on that one.
1: Yeah, no, so our next segment, of course, is the what are we watching, what are we reading, kind of give you an aspect into what we like to do, either other than Star Wars, or what we're doing with Star Wars, what we're reading and everything, so I'll let you go ahead and start and tell everybody what you're watching and reading.
0: Thank you. Uh, what am I watching? Okay, well, it's been a long time since we've had an episode. So what I've watched, um, I've seen Lion King already, saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, which is a great movie. Lion King's okay, like it's not, it's nothing special, but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's really good. Uh, I, I saw Toy Story. I don't know if we talked about me watching Toy Story like the last episode but I'll just throw that in there. Uh currently watching watching The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu and also watching uh The Flash on Netflix, the CW Flash, which is a pretty good series. Um you know Chris, I'm a little bit more invested into the DC universe than Marvel, so I am enjoying The Flash right now and the whole I think it's it's going to inspire me to to watch Arrow and you know the entire Arrow universe. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh reading just finished reading Thrawn Alliances, which you are now reading. So I'm excited for to talk about that, you know, whenever that episode uh, comes to fruition. And then currently reading Queen's Shadow by E.K. Johnson, which is about uh, Padme. So kind of her transition from the Queen of Naboo to being a senator for Naboo in the, in the Senate, obviously. So I think it's a pretty interesting book so far, about 100 pages away from finishing it. I like it. I think it's an interesting read. Definitely political. Definitely political. It's not an action-packed book, but um, if you like the political side of Star Wars, it's definitely uh, one that I recommend. So, What about you, Chris?
1: So, yeah, I definitely want to jump on that, that uh, book about Padme. I definitely saw it at the store the other day. I definitely want to jump on that. But like you said, I'm reading Thrawn Alliances. And uh, I just got Thrawn Treason in the mail.
0: Oh, boy.
1: So it definitely gives me more incentive to finish Thrawn Alliances because, as you guys have known, we are big fans of Thrawn.
0: We love Thrawn. Thrawn
1: is one of our favorites, especially since they said Eli Fanto. Granted, I guess I got a little bit spoiled. Is not in Alliances, and he he's going to be making an appearance again in Treason. So that's really exciting mm-hmm. uh, because like we were talking about earlier with Lark and everything that it's when he's probably one of my favorite Star Wars characters. So he's amazing. But um, what I'm watching right now, I am watching, I'm sure everybody's seen ads for it because I think it might be one of the most, unless it's just on my timeline for social media and everything, <laughs> it must be one of the most advertised, TV shows there are it's called the boys it's on amazon prime video um you know the biggest the two biggest actors i can think of that are in it off the top of my head which is probably bad because the other ones are big too are carl urban who's in thor ragnarok star trek a bunch of other stuff and then um Simon Pegg has been in the show. I'm about six episodes in. There's only eight. He's been in the show for a total of probably like 10 minutes. <laughs> um, and he has an American accent, which if you're into that, then definitely watch it. Um, but yeah, no, it's a really cool, interesting spin on if superheroes were the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it kind of gives you the idea that maybe this is how superheroes would be in real life yeah. because they're corrupt. They're, they want money. They It's everything like that. They want to just, their image is everything. Once you think about it, like it's not wrong. probably a little bit more realistic than something like the MCU where everyone loves Captain America and Captain America is, is exactly what everybody loves, mm-hmm. you know? So it's kind of an interesting little spin on the story there, but if you have not watched it yet, I would definitely do so. Um, it's definitely interesting. I would I would suggest you're at least 18 to watch it because there's a lot going on in it. There's a – from every sort of death to just inappropriate everything, it's it's not a uh, – it's not exactly a children's show. It would definitely be a movie that would be not rated. Yeah. A lot of people say it'd be rated R. I don't think this could be rated R. I think it would be not rated. But um yeah, it's definitely a interesting show and if you're a superhero fan, I would definitely check it out. It gives you a little bit more of a perspective.
0: Oh. Well that sounds like an interesting show. I might hop on that. We'll see.
1: But yeah, I think that'll that'll probably do it for today. What do you say?
0: Yeah, that's definitely gonna do it for sure. Hey it was a good one.
1: It definitely was. I'm so glad we finally well, I, I just want to be the first to apologize for the reason why we haven't been... <laughs> You're fine. Because Alphabet Squadron came out in June. I read like the first 200 pages of it in June, and it took me a month and a half to <laughs> read the next 200. I've been working a lot. Me and Gino are headed back to school here in the next couple of weeks. We'll be in the same place. It'll be easier to start putting out episodes. We're going to get some content, hopefully, with D23 coming up here in the Trailer, maybe a trailer. We'll, we'll hope at least one. I um, we'll have plenty to talk about. Uh, in other news, I don't know if Xeno has. I pre-ordered Jedi Fallen Order. That comes out in a, in November, around the same time Disney Plus does. That'll be exciting. I'm, I'm assuming news will come out about that every now and then. So I'm very excited to to review that and play that and see the whole aspect of that. But other than that we uh we appreciate you listening to it. And uh, do you have anything else to say? You know.
0: No, that's it. We're gonna have our own studio the next time we uh we talk. Meaning, you know, third floor, the Cronkite Building. Not our own studio, but I mean, we can we can <laughs> relish in it. We can relish in it.
1: Hey, it's better than I mean. I don't know if people can tell, but I'm literally recording this in my car. <laughs> so,
0: I'm I'm in my bathroom right now, so.
1: Yeah. So it's gonna be a little bit better than than what we've been dealing with i I would say a lot better but um yeah i'm really excited for it and uh we appreciate you listening and may the force be with the force
0: be with you